0: Well, it is good to be here with you all. I hope you had a really great uh, 4th of July weekend last week. had a lot of fun. Thank you. I know a lot of you guys were praying for my neighborhood block party that we had. And I left early last week, if you were here, you remember? I skipped church, kind of, at least early, to go be a part of the... And it was actually really cool. God worked out in a lot of different ways to to be a blessing to the neighborhood. And it was really fun. And uh, lots of people got to hear... Who start? Who organizes things? Oh, Pastor will organize this, or some pastor guy, or something like that. Like, I, and I was, I was, I, I stole our cotton cane machine, or borrowed it, I should say, from our church without asking because I'm the pastor. And um, I, uh, people were like, "Where'd you get this thing?" I got to tell like at least twenty five neighbors that, "Oh yeah, my church let us borrow it." <laughs> it was a lot of fun though. Well, we're gonna start a new series today. Uh, called uh, fruitful the freedom of following Jesus Uh, looking at becoming healthy people it's something I've been thinking about a lot over the last year and all the things we've gone through and my heart's desires for us as a church is that we would feel fruitful we'd feel the health that our lives are feel abundant we have rest in our life, that we don't feel overly stretched and burdened, and that we see these good things happening around us and through us and in our life. And, and so we're looking at the fruits of the Spirit to produce fruitfulness in our life. And uh, today I want to talk about that the, about how the one of the elements of fruitfulness, that maybe where this all flows out of, we're going to get a background in the Galatians today, where the pastors, famous passage comes from. And it all centers around freedom. That's why I subtitled it, The Freedom of Following Jesus. That by, by surrendering our life to Jesus, we find freedom. We find fruitfulness. We find health. The exact opposite of the way maybe people would think about following anyone or anything. Right? I don't know about you guys, but we like, I, I like to be in the driver's seat of my life. I remember I learned this when I was pretty young, that I really prefer to be in the driver's seat. I remember, I remember when I was a teenager, I tangibly learned how much I don't like being in the driver's seat or someone letting someone else be in the driver's seat when I was at I was at youth camp and we would do this jet ski, we did this lake day and they'd have these jet skis and you could ride on the back of a jet ski with one of the counselors or the staff of the camp or whatever you know, on these really fancy big jet skis at the time that go like 50 miles an hour, maybe 50 knots, and we said miles an hour, I don't know, but they go fast. <laughs> knots, miles an hour, what's the difference? And um, and so you're flying on these jet skis and they're trying to like, and they're trying to, and then they're trying to knock you off. It's like the counselor seems like that's his goal in life is to knock you off this jet ski. And I, I figured out pretty fast that I don't like that. <laughs> it was not fun to me to be going, you know, going 50 knots or whatever on this on the water and uh, you don't know when this dude's gonna turn and like th- throw, fling you off the side of the jet ski. And somebody, I'm a, I was a small, I'm always a small person, so it always felt like when I get flung off something, someone larger than me is gonna land on top of me, and it's not gonna feel good. So, um, and uh, so I did, figured I didn't like it. I didn't, and I so I didn't, I didn't like riding jet skis. I so I thought. And then when I was 19 or 20, something like that, I was now a counselor, and they, the camp knew me really well, so they they were short on on staff that day and they said will you drive one of the jet skis and I'm like absolutely (laughs) so I got to be the guy all day long on the lake driving other people on the jet skis and it was a whole different kind of experience that now I was the guy going 50 miles an hour on the water trying to throw them off the back that was a lot of fun (laughs) and so I learned that I do not I, I like being in the driver's seat right I don't like my life being in someone else's hands, right? If I'm going to take a risk with life, I better be the one at the wheel, right? And so, and I think this is a lot like our our lives, the way we treat not just our life of driving a car or whatever, we want to, to be in control of our lives, don't we? It feels terrifying to let someone else be in control or to it may be more, more likely to happen in your life, is to let cir- circumstances will happen in our life, and we when we feel out of control, we feel very... I mean, that, that, is, that is the source of a lot of our anxiety in life, is when you feel out of control. And so when we come to this concept of following Jesus... Like our passage is going to say, being led by the Spirit, which is another, really another way of saying following Jesus and the power of the Spirit, letting the Spirit direct your, your life of, of following Christ and following God's will and becoming the person that God made you to be. It's very counterintuitive to the to to way we think about freedom and, be, and health. We just celebrated the 4th of July, and for most of us in America, freedom means autonomy. I Getting to do what I want to do, right? Which is really just, uh, in, which is not the complete view of freedom from the biblical perspective. And so I want to talk about that today. What is true freedom? How does following Jesus lead to greater freedom than following your own hearts? How does following Jesus lead to greater freedom than just following your hearts? We're going to be in Galatians chapter five. Today I'm actually to give context to the whole chapter, of the book a little bit. So this week I'm just going to be setting up the, the fruits of the spirit by kind of understanding Galatians and, and where Paul is coming from in the whole chapter before he gets to that part of the fruit of the Spirit. Just a little bit of background, because when I jump into this, these verses, it's going to sound kind of confusing, because we're jumping into a different world. And we're jumping into this world in an ancient Turkey. And, and Paul had planted these churches in Turkey. And the, these were gent- mostly Gentile churches, churches that were non-Jewish, right? It was amongst Romans. And, and Paul had come there, and in the power of the Spirit, he preached the gospel, and people believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he had started to establish them in the truths of who Jesus is and what he had done for them. And, and one of the things he would have taught them is that they were, they, they were part of God's plan since the beginning. The only scriptures they had were the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And so he would be teaching them from the Old Testament how you now, through Jesus Christ, are a part of God's ancient people, Israel. You've been grafted into the, the family, you would say. You've been adopted into God's family. And now you, have, you are full uh, heirs of the promises of the Old Testament. You can look to the Old Testament and God's promises and God's character and who He is, and you can know that you are 100% a part of that because you put your faith in Jesus. And so everything's good. They're enjoying their salvation in Jesus Christ. He He would establish them saying, you grow in this freedom not by following the law anymore because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Like You don't have to follow all of the little regulations in the Old Testament to... To earn your way into God's favor, you now follow Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and that, and, and you obey Jesus and you learn how to walk with him and become like Christ. And that is how you grow. And so they would be going good. And he's, he's gonna say in this passage, you were running so well, but then someone came and interrupted their running. There was this group called that got ended up being called the Judaizers. And they were a group of Jewish Christians who had really started to establish a false gospel. So it's even a little bit nebulous to call them Christians. And they started going around and teaching people that, that just the, Jesus and His death free on the cross and following the Spirit wasn't enough. That you need to follow the law. And especially, they're saying you need to follow the ceremony. We might call the ceremonial law. You need to follow the the laws around the Sabbath and the law, the customs around uh, the what clothes you're supposed to wear and the customs around what kind of food you can eat. You can't eat pork, guys. Stop eating that bacon and all that kind of stuff. And and you can't. Uh, you, Rich looks at me like, "What? No pork? What use would a Traeger be without pork?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so and uh and so they start coming in and saying, "You need to do all these things to to grow and to, that's the only way you're going to ever you know put off the temptations of the body and the flesh and the sin nature is to to, to become become a traditional Jew. And you could picture why they might say this because they're traditional Jews, and they come from a vastly different culture than the the Roman Gentiles, right? So in the Jewish culture, it's very it'd be very traditional, right? Everything is very very moralistic, upright. You know, all, you have all of these moral laws, right? And they're you know, and so it lists out, and they're following the Ten Commandments. A lot of the same moral laws that we follow today, and and uh, in our culture in America, like adultery is bad, things like that. You shouldn't, you know, it's not a good thing to oppress, you know, to to, to get in all kinds of sexual craziness or whatever it might be. And um, and, you know, it's a, it's you're 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 supposed to be a loving, kind person to people. All these different things, but and then they have all now these Roman Christians coming in, but they're coming from a very, very different culture, right? And their culture, literally part of their some of their religions, are they are are you can go out and have sex with prostitutes and things like that. And that's just a normal part of their life. Like your wife's cool with it. I, don't, I mean, it's hard to picture, right? Your wife being cool with that. But that's the so now these people become Christians, and you can imagine, like, like all of us, you don't instantly just become like Jesus. So they see them struggling with, their, with the flesh, see them struggling with things the Bible teaches as sins, and they say, There's a problem here. We've got to get these Gentiles under control, not recognizing maybe that their own sin and their own legalism and that they're sinning in a whole different kind of way. It just looks a lot better but there's all kinds of other sins the very religious sins like pride and and uh, you know they were there's a lot of degrading of women and things like that that are happening in these very r- religious moral cultures right there's a and, and um and so but they're looking at these gentiles and like those guys are crazy they're off on they're and they're, they're they're not just getting in line so they think that what paul taught about how the spirit is how you overcome the temptations of sin He's like, that's clearly not enough because they're not getting in line fast enough. So what they really need to do now is do all that stuff and become good traditional Jews. And you can picture that. We see this today, don't we, in our own hearts, and we'll talk about this in a second. And so Paul writes them to say, oh, no, no, no. I preach to you the gospel. There is no other gospel. These people. Is that these people are coming in, and they're giving you a false gospel. He said he goes so far to say, if you're to follow this gospel, you will no longer be following Jesus Christ and submitting to the Spirit. He has some great warnings about this. And as the book comes to a close, this is where our passage about fruits of the Spirit come from. He's saying, look, we need to look, we need to come back. He starts he starts elaborating on this concept that we grow by following the Holy Spirit, not by primarily following the laws or the moral rules our focus should be on surrendering to the spirit of god not figuring out all the rules and how we are going to manufacture our morality he says this in galatians chapter 5 verse 1 he says for freedom christ has set us free stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery That'd be a great verse, by the way, to put on your fridge this week. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, you know, becoming this traditional Jewish person, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is. Obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that is the sin nature. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Okay, so I'm not. There was actually a lot there. Obviously, I was, and I'm not going to cover everything in that section. But I want to look back to that first verse and unpack that, where it said. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, there's two kinds of slavery that Christ has freed us from that he talks about in this passage that I want to cover. The first kind, and the most, and you could think of these two kinds of slavery as two ways to take the driver's seat from Christ that will ultimately lead to slavery in your life. You won't become the person that you want to be. He said later on, he says, he says that the flesh keeps you from being the person that you want to be, from doing what you want to do. It's like even if you can figure out what you want, we can't become that person in the driver's seat. We have to trust God. Let Him be in the driver's seat. There's two forms of this kind of slavery that he talks about here in this passage. The first one is slavery to the law or empty religion, we might say today. And the second one is slavery to the flesh or or to make that more modern language, self-centeredness. And I want to look at those two forms of slavery. The first one is that Jesus, He has freed us. He says, for freedom He set us free. And He's saying He set us free from slavery to the law or slavery to empty man-made religion. This idea, What He's saying is, That if you're a part of the law, he keeps telling them, then guess what? Okay, go ahead. Start following the law again, guys, if that's what you want to do. But then you will end up being condemned. Why? Because if you want to follow the law, you have to follow the law perfectly. You will be always a slave to guilt and shame and condemnation because you will never be able to live up to the standards of the law. And we, even intuitively, you might be someone who's listening, who's not a religious person or a Christian. But even the Bible talks about how we can't even live up to the standards of our own law that's written on our hearts, right? If you were to, if the, if I was to, ma- if you were to make a list, if like and uh, actually, uh, uh, Schaefer talks about this: how if God were to start a recorder and record all of your own natural law of your own heart, all of the ought statements that you said in your life, people ought to be like this. And if that and there was a recorder that was turned on every single time you said people ought to be like this and then when you get to the judgment seat after death and god just plays the recorder and he says look i'm not going to judge you by my standards that would be impossible for you to follow i'm going to judge you by your own standards and he tr- and he played the recorder and you said th- in and all the things you said people ought to be kind people ought not to cut people off on the freeway right? People ought not to lie or, or cheat or whatever it is that you said. People ought to treat people with respect. And then, and then there was the replay your life. We would not even get close to following our own standards, let alone God's perfect righteous standards. So there is a slavery to, in, in any kind of sense. If you are leaving it up to yourself To provide your resume of righteousness or whatever you want to call it to to live up to a standard so that you can claim to be a good person and enter into heaven is a slavery because you we all know deep down we do not we can't even meet our own standard. And so Jesus came to free us from that that tyranny of having to to write our own resume to earn our salvation. And he says, never go back to that slavery stand firm he says that's he, the idea of stand firm means that the natural tendency of the human heart is to drift back into these two forms of slavery that I'm going to talk about the first one being this one to to drift back into some kind of form of works based righteousness works based resume building I'm a good person because look here's what I did that we naturally we keep wanting to fall back into that that this Thinking and we do this in the church a lot by by starting to think. Okay, I'm saved, and Jesus is give me a spirit and stuff. Yeah, it's all good. But then when life feels a little bit like it's not going the way it's supposed to go, anybody ever felt like that before? We start thinking. Well, what I really need to do is I need to figure out how to how to scheme and strive to make my life better. That whole following the spirit thing isn't working. I need to start finding my own law. I need to scheme a way to become like Jesus is what we do in the church or to become the happy human being that God wants me to be or to believe in God's promises or whatever it might be. And so so I'm down on myself and I'm going to scheme a way to fulfill God's promises in my life. And so we get to working and striving and coming up with a plan. Whatever it might be, and we start thinking. I remember, I remember when I was a young Christian. It was like it always seemed like all the really righteous guys got up at like five in the morning and read their Bible and like did all you know and like they pray and like you find out this guy he gets up at five in the morning and reads his Bible and prays for like an hour and you're like and I'm like this young kid I'm like, what? That's crazy talk. Like I don't want to do that, right? But you start trying to figure out how you're gonna do all these things because you think I gotta be more like that person, so I need to do this, I need to do that, and it just becomes this rat race of busyness that isn't connected to a restful, loving, vibrant relationship with God anymore. Not that any of those things were the, the dude who gets up at five in the morning and has this great righteousness coming out of that isn't that is, that's not bad. That's great. But it wasn't getting up at five in the morning and reading his Bible and 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 praying for an hour that made him righteous. It's Jesus Christ and the connection to Jesus that makes you righteous, right? And if that's, and I would never stop someone from from trying all kinds of things to get, to grow, but it should all be back on trusting and following the Spirit in Jesus Christ, not doing something to scheme and to strive to become the person that God wants you to be. I, I love. I got a pastor this week gave this great example of this. This works-based righteousness and scheming, and he used the illustration actually from Galatians of he gives an illustration in chapter four about the way Sarah tried to scheme to become to get the the child of the promise of God to her. In, in Genesis chapter 12 God comes to a to a man who's 80 years old and married to a a woman who's 70 years old and never and is barren never had kids and he says look I want you to go to this country I'm calling you to and you're going to have a child and through this child I'm going to bless the whole world right and and they and they, they trust God and they're faithful but then as the years go on and and they're they I mean here's this is you got this 80 year old guy He's in, and he's supposed to be have this child who's going to bless the whole world. He's in, think about that. Like an 80-year-old man and his, and his wife, they're not thinking in terms of having kids at this phase of their life, especially after never having kids. And after, let's say, five, six years, and the, the promise hasn't come to them, Sarah's like starting to wonder if this is ever going to happen, right? I mean, if you're young and you wait five or six years to have a child, you're kind of freaking out. If you're 80 and you're like waiting around and you're probably like, man, I'm gonna die before this happens. And this is kind of ridiculous promise, God. And it's been years. You start to lack faith. You start to start to think, I gotta do. And so what Sarah does is she starts to think, well, I'm not gonna let go of God's promise, but I feel like I've got to figure out a way to make this happen. Because clearly something's wrong here. So she has a young, beautiful. Uh, 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 a servant in her household named Hagar, and, she's, and he's, she says, says to Abraham, here, take this young, beautiful servant and have a child with her instead of me. We notice in the se- passage, he doesn't really say anything about this. He's like, okay, whatever, I'll do my part. And so he, so, they, and so they try to have... and they, But here's the point. Sarah's trying to fulfill God's promises through her own schemes and striving. It doesn't work out so well. Doesn't work out so well for her marriage. It doesn't work out so well for her household. It doesn't work out for the whole history of the Jews and the conflicts and the strifes they're having. Not unlike the Galatians church, which is fighting and and you're striving to fulfill God's promises in your own strength and your own power. It leads to all kinds of brokenness. And so, what the whole point the point Paul's making and what God was making back in in Genesis is is that we can trust. The gospel says we can trust God to fulfill. His promises in us, regardless of our fruitfulness. That if you want to become a fruitful person, it doesn't have to do with your potential for fruit right now. Sarah was all barren and dried up, is the way they would describe it back then. She's a dried up woman, has no promise of fruitfulness. And so she thinks, I have to strive to find it in some other way. Have you ever, and what, What the gospel is promising us is that through the power of the Spirit, that when you trust Him, that your fruitfulness has nothing to do with your potential right now. With your current state of righteousness or peace or rest. It it all rests on God's power to work in us and work through us. To provide a miracle in our hearts of the gospel growing and growing us into a person of character like Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, "Don't don't go back into that old empty way of following the law, I feel like you have to be the one to fulfill your potential." The second kind of slavery that that Jesus frees us from is the the, the slavery of to of self centeredness. Jesus frees us from self centeredness, or what he says. here, He says, "But I say." walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing you want to do you see our culture will often say something like I am most free when I can do whatever I want, with a little caveat, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. I am most free when I can do whatever I want. But really, what the Scriptures teach us over and over again is, this is just a more subtle version of, this, of slavery. Because when we, when we live our life with that at the center, we're basically saying, we are the center. And I can do whatever I want. And so now I am a slave to that I, to that ego, to me, and to what I want. Now I have to be the one that has to not only figure out what I want. I have to figure out what's right, right? I have to now, and I have to then, even if I were to figure those things out, which mining my heart to figure out what I actually want is quite hard, right? Just think about the fact that you want to you, this afternoon you're going to want to eat something awesome, right? You're gonna eat something delicious, but you also don't you also don't want to die an early death. So you gotta figure out am I gonna eat a pile of delicious foods, or am I gonna moderate my pile of delicious foods so that I live longer? Right. And we have these conflicts in our hearts all the time. What do I want? I want a lot of things. And even when I and what he's saying that even when I figure out what is best for myself, I don't end up being able to do the thing that I want to do, because that's the second part. I have to actually get. What I want, and now I'm the center, and it's all up to me. And now, if I try to get what what I want, I also have to protect what I want from everybody else and all the competition around me. Everybody and I and have all these people around me and them and their idea of what's right and what's wrong and what we should be going after in life. And now they're a threat because they're saying what I say is right is wrong. And now they are in competition and they're a threat to me and they're a threat to my vision. Of what I'm supposed to be, because we're all living like the flesh is saying we're all, I'm this, we're the center. And so we don't ever say like I want to be God, but we live life in the driver's seat. The classic driver's seat. I'm gonna do what I want, where I want. This is this is these are this is my keys, God. This is my car, God. This is my life. I'm gonna drive, I'm gonna drive it wherever I want. Don't you dare try to question if I'm if I'm lost, I'm not lost. Just taking the scenic routes <laughs> and so it's another form of slavery i like the uh, i like the way i read, read this week he says like in the bible when we talk about sin it's really primarily getting at this concept of self-centeredness and william temple in this book called Christi- christianity in the social order he says this, this is the idea of sin he says the idea of sin that the bible talks about at it's very at the very core it's saying I am the center of the world that I see. I am the center of the world I see. And where the horizon is depends on where I stand. Education may make make my self-centeredness less disastrous by broadening my horizon of vision. But it's like a man climbing a tower who sees further in terms of physical vision while remaining himself the center and the standard of reference. I am the center of the world that I see, and all it, it points out the, the idea that even if I were to make myself the center, I am a terrible center because I can only see so far, I only know so much, and I only have and I have very little power to to control my life and to have autonomy over myself and where I'm going, even even with my limited vision of where I should go, and so. Self-centeredness is ultimately a form of slavery, the Scriptures say. I, I, I uh, For a long time, I think a long, long time ago, I heard a pastor describe it like a cul-de-sac of despair. Where I keep having to define what it is that I want and thinking, this is what I want. And then I go back to that, and so I pursue that thing. Okay, what I want is to get a career. And so I go and I pursue a career, and, I, and now I'm in, I go to pursue that career, and I'm working hard at that career, and then I, and I get the career. And, but then I have the career now, and I don't feel as fulfilled and satisfied as I thought I would by the career. So now I have to find something else to fulfill and, and satisfy me. And so now I think, oh, now I, what I have to do is I have to conquer romance. And I have to find a spouse and have kids or whatever and settle down and now I get that. And then you have three little kids running around and it's not quite as fulfilling as you thought it would be. And then, and then, you, and then you have to go find something else. So, so it's like, oh, no, I have to get a Harley Davidson. That will fulfill me and, and just ride free away from all of these constraints in my life. And you get that. And then but it's just constantly that these things are all good things, but they're not God things. They're not satisfying the way they were meant to be. And so it's a constant rat race of trying to fulfill and satisfy yourself when all the time it was meant to be fulfilled and satisfied by trusting God. It's another form of slavery. And Jesus comes, and he's the one who frees us from this slavery by by loving us and caring for us and showing us that we can trust God to be the center because God is the source of love because God is love. And God goes to the cross and he, he dies for all of our self-centeredness, which shouldn't be too hard to admit at this point. But He doesn't take our self-centeredness just as a rivalry to His throne. He, t- he takes us as His kids who are lost and leads us back to relationship with Himself. Because the, the freedom, the only way to be free is to trust Jesus Christ. The only way to become free and to become healthy human beings is to let God be the center of our life again. To let him take the wheel. To let him be in the driver's seat. I think about uh, what John Stott said about freedom. It's a great little section. He says that uh, he thinks this question of when we are most free. When is, the, when is a human being most free? And he likens this to the, a fish as an obvious example. That a God created a fish to live and to thrive in water. You have this beautiful tropical fish, let's say in your house that's on display in a tank. And this it's beautiful and it's thriving in this tank. And everyone can see it. It's it's happy, it's fed, it looks healthy, it can swim. It's not as free as it could be in the ocean, but you know, it's at least <laughs> but let's see this fish in the in the tank is like I don't feel free, I feel constrained by this water. And it sees the world beyond the tank. And it looks enticing, this world beyond the tank. And one day the fish gets up in its mind to think, I'm going to be free. And so it gets down to the bottom of the tank and it works up a little bit of courage and it works up some velocity and it flies up out of the tank and it pops out. And it flaps down onto the carpet. And it sits there flopping around. Does the fish feel free as it flops there choking? and dying a slow death on the carpet. No, it felt free when it was in the tank, in the water. See, God is designed, like, and so you could ask the question, in what environment are humans most free? It would actually be a beautiful question for you to talk about with your neighbors sometime. In what environment, I mean, you could think of a great conversation happening from that, that question. In what environment are humans the most free? I think most people in our culture, Christian or not, would probably come back to to humans are most free in an environment of love. Humans are most free in an environment of love. Why? Because God is love. Right? And we are made in God's image. We are made to be able to receive God's love and then pour it out into the world. It's no wonder that the first, that the, the commandment, when Jesus said, what, how do you, what, what's the greatest commandment? He says, all of the law is, is summed up in the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the center of how humans were designed to live. Both receiving God's love and then pouring it out to their neighbor. I mean, pour it out to God and to their neighbor and then loving yourself probably lasts in that order but when we become self-centered we reverse it and we make ourself and loving ourselves first and then somehow try to strive to love others and love our neighbors and love people we don't like very much and maybe get to loving god and it was never meant to flow that way it was meant to god's love flowing into us his love flowing out of us to our neighbors and to those who, who don't know about God's love, to, the, to even our, God's love flowing out of us to our enemies, whereas we might say, this, the people that we don't really like very much. But God loves. That's the heartbeat. as the heartbeat of the fruit of the spirits we're going to talk about, even starting next week, with the first fruit, love. That humans thrive. We are most free when we are in loving relationship with God. God today wants to set you free. He wants to set you free to walk in relationship with Him, to be able to trust His love to lead and to guide you, that he, he created you out of love, and there is no commandment that He's ever given you that was not out of love for your health and for your benefit. And He wants to teach you how to become a wonderful, fruitful person of character in love, not in guilt, not in pressure, not in with a stick. With love, he wants to teach you how to follow Jesus Christ and become like Christ, the center of love. And there's such a freedom to that, to resting in the fact that we become healthy, thriving human beings through loving God, through trusting God. This whole, I hope this whole series, it feels like a summer of restored rest in the spirit of God that we become healthy not by focusing on what we need to do, but we become healthy by by living in relationship with God, by taking time to rest in who God is and what He's done for us as we'll talk about over these next coming weeks. That all of these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, all of these things, what are they? They are the character of Jesus Christ. And that is a love that was poured out for you before it is a love that is ever poured out through you. And so we find health by resting in who Jesus is and what He's done for us. By trusting Him in the power of the seer to say, God, what is it that you have for me today? What a beautiful thing in the summer if we start waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that you have for me today? What is it that help remind me of your love, of God's love for me today? What is it that you want me to rest in today, God? Help me to be in your presence, God. Be aware of your presence. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's fruit. It is not your fruit. It is God's work in you, as we'll see. God helping you become the person that you you were always designed to be. And there's such a rest in this, Because just like the image of fruit, fruit takes time. And so we can rest today. If anything today, when I say fruit of the Spirit and where we're at and trusting the Lord today, I hope you hear that it takes time. And God is very, very patient with you. That this is something that we do for a lifetime of learning to walk with Jesus Christ. That we aren't saved by you figuring it all out today. Again, we don't go back to the law think I have to be perfect today or I'm not going to make it to heaven or I'm not going to be loved by God. No, we don't go back to that. God loves you right where you are. We don't rebel from God and say, I'm going to take the driver's seat because I don't think you're good, God, and if I'm going to have a happy life, I need to be in control and define it my own way. We don't go to that form of slavery. We day by day trust that Jesus Christ is the source of love and life. Help me to walk with you, Jesus, today. Spirit, lead me, guide me, fill me with your joy. And when I'm feeling all of the negative effects of the flesh, I go back to the Spirit and I say, Lord, help me. Help me with my lack of peace today, God. Help me with my sadness today, God. Help me with my loneliness today. Would you tr- I'm going to trust you and let you lead me wherever you may lead me today. And we can do that in the power of the Spirit day by day i say yes jesus i will let you be in the driver's seat because i know you are going to lead me to places of life and love amen so i'll challenge you as we close today the challenge today is to think who's in the driver's seat of your life that's where we start this journey will you let jesus be in the driver's seat of your life will you You might be listening here online or in here and, and you're new to all this faith stuff and you're like, I'm not so sure if I can let Jesus take the driver's seat. i got so many questions. I'm not sure about all this Christian stuff or what you read to me in the Bible. I'm not sure if I can trust the Bible. You don't have to start with having all the beliefs figured out. You can start with Jesus, Holy Spirit, if you're real. I want to learn how to hear your voice. Lead me, guide me on a journey with you today, God. All of us can start in that place. God, I trust that you are love. I trust that you are love, God. Would you lead me and guide me in that love? Amen? Dear God, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, God, that you are love, and you have been love for all of eternity, Lord. I pray you help us to trust you today the trust that everything that you have for us is love. Help us to learn how to, to walk in that and to be empowered by that to become new people. I pray as that we as we sing and we reflect on your word right now Lord, I just pray that that love would pour into our hearts right now that we would know you and hear you and as a god of love who is with us and present just like the people around us right now that you are just as present with us as any other person here, that you are here in love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.